0: Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith in the Beautiful Inland Northwest. What we're looking at this afternoon um, is a topic that I think we need clarity on and on which people such as the writers of the Magdeburg Confession had clarity, and that is what are the different spheres of life? There are different words that I could have used instead of sphere. The old theological word is estate, but it basically means what are the different places that people operate and are there different rules there? Or Maybe there's one part of life that gets to run all of the others directly, right? Maybe there's some part of life that gets to tell you what to do no matter where you go and no matter whom you're with. That idea that one sphere of life gets to tell you what to do, how to do it, and how to think about it, is at this point in our nation's history, generally, government. Not even any specific level, but government. And they don't have to do it directly. Because through the wonder of modern media, they can do it and make you think that it's your idea, that the way that you have come to feel about your own family on the basis of their vaccination status or voting record is your independent, independently thinking, critically thinking idea. And it wasn't something that they propagated and made sure then you would enforce or your employer would enforce upon you or some other private entity would enforce, and the government doesn't have to do it. And when we think about that and the hold that media has over people's lives, it seems like an almost insurmountable goal to get any other sphere of life, but especially the most basic ones in addition to government, which are the family and the church. It seems almost impossible to get those spheres to have any kind of long-standing independence and sustainability. It feels like eventually they will be overwhelmed by the power of the state, exercised sometimes through the media, sometimes directly when they force your business to close, but whether indirectly or directly, it feels like there's no way to preserve these things. And that sense of being overwhelmed is not new, not even in our nation's history. If this were somewhere near my birthplace in Pennsylvania, I might have chosen an example from colonial history. But let's do one from the settling of the West. There is a commemoration of defeat in southeastern Montana at Little Bighorn. There's a big monument on top of the hill to the troopers of the 7th Cavalry mainly, but also to other units who fell there that day upwards of 200 men. Some did, however, survive by fleeing not with Custer, who famously died, but with other commanders like Marcus Reno, who escaped to go on to fight another day. And the ones who escaped left accounts of these things. They said what had happened, what it felt like, how overwhelming it was. They said that when they were hunkered down behind dead horses... That was their only protection. That's all they had left. It seemed like the Indians were springing up from the grass. That the grass just yielded instead of sagebrush or whatever else, Indians. They came out of the soil and they swarmed all around on every side. And one way to tell whether history is true or not when someone tells it to you is to check another account. And the Indians themselves said the same thing about the situation. Two Moons, one of the Sioux chiefs, described the movement of his troops at that same battle as being, in his words, swirling like water around a stone. Overwhelming, destructive. Before the force of the water, the stone will give way. It will be moved, and it will go where it does not want to go. And that sense of being overwhelmed, or close to overwhelmed, not only in our own individual lives, but in the lives of the things that make life worth living, especially our families and our churches, we feel often overwhelmed everything rushing onward and ever onward, carrying us with it. So that one day, even if we don't consume media just from our everyday experience of other people's manners or ways or demeanor or insistence, even if we never look at a single screen, we experience a very strange reality Like we were born in one country, and without ever moving out of the county in which we were born, we somehow woke up in another. Everything strange, everything overwhelming, and the sense that you will not, and the things about which you care most, will not survive, depresses action and defense and the instinct for survival right now, because... If this isn't going to work anyway, why fight? You may notice that a lot of the things surrounding the events of the past, what is it now, 18 months, 18 years, I don't even know, in our country, generally do not directly have to do with common sense matters of hygiene or health. No one rants on television about people's need to lose weight or get more sun or eat more red meat or vegetables. It just doesn't happen. Common sense things that your grandmother knew about staying healthy are not the things that are said. The things that are generally said to us, and now with the advent of the Berlin Wall of vaccination status said about us, are things that are generally designed to demoralize so that many things in your life now come to seem more and more and more like all you have protecting you are some dead horses that you rode in on and are not gonna get you out of where you are now. So what to do? What can be done? It's not just the impetus to resistance that is necessary. That existed in plenty of people in East Germany in 1970, years after the wall had been built. It is also the need to organize, but even more than that, the need to understand why you are organized, why you resist, what your long-term goal is. Because it may be 30, 40 more years before anything that you recognize as your country is back on an everyday basis. What we are engaged in is not a fight for the next electoral cycle. That may be part of it. That has to be part of it as long as it can. But it will not be resolved by election. So what to do? Let's recognize, first of all, that we don't have just some dead horses to protect us from the bullets and arrows of the opponents. We have, in fact, three fortresses God himself has built. This is what is classically called in theology the three fortresses estates, that is, things set up by God, of divine foundation. This is so well known in our country's history that articulating it in the fashion I just did has generally not been necessary. They didn't have to go into great detail about precisely what they meant by the phrase nature and nature's God. All they had to say was there's an unchanging standard, and it was erected by a superhuman authority. That means it's valid and real and should be paid attention to whenever we form a government. They didn't have to explain so much, but maybe we do. Because it is now necessary for us to say that there is male and there is female and the two are quite different, let alone lots of other things they didn't have to talk so much about in the 18th century. So what are these three Things God has set up for human life this all presumes what I'm about to say that you are not meant to fight or to live to survive or to thrive on your own if you were human beings wouldn't have language or lots of other things that require at least one other person to handle you were meant to be together we were meant to be together we were not meant for isolation And the places we were meant to be together are these three. First of all, that is primarily the place where Martin Luther said, everyone learns both his duty to God and to man more or less well, primarily the family. The family is natural. It does not exist by any sole person's will unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it do labor in vain. But it exists by a union which miraculously, truly, if you've ever had children, and even more than that, grandchildren, it is a miracle. Life comes into being, new life. The family is natural. That's the first and primary fortress. Before the fall into sin, the family existed. We even say this, at least in the Lutheran church, when people get married, reminding people at the very beginning of the service that what this man and this woman are about to enter into is an estate God set up in paradise, and here it is still existing among us. Churches tend to not ignore the family nearly so much as does the state, but we'll go into that in a minute. The family First of all. And then, wherever man exists, he is called to be in relationship to God. So, the church is the second estate. It too existed, if you can accept this manner of speaking, also in paradise, as Adam and Eve called upon and spoke with the Lord. And its existence, therefore, is basic and essential and even in a certain sense of speaking, natural. That's why religion, true or false, exists wherever people do. They want to worship and to serve someone or something, whether they know the truth or not. Inability to eradicate the desire for love found in the family, or the desire for worship Found in the church is, I think, one of the chief frustrations of our modern savages, those who would assault and break down all these things. I think it frustrates them to no end that they cannot simply replace the family or replace the church. It bothers them. That's why, as we'll talk about, those are the chief places of their assault, especially prior to 2020, for a very very long time in addition to the family and the church and especially because of human sin the third estate is government now it's possible although really truly in the strictest sense of the word unimaginable how government would have worked without the events of Genesis 3 being what they are and at this point speculation about it really doesn't matter Government is set up for the reward of good and especially for the punishment of evil. And it really is that simple. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be the focus of people's constant attention as we get political news flying across the screens in front of our faces constantly, but that's what it's for. It makes communal life outside the family Possible, and hopefully even pleasant. Government, good government, is the reason that people want to move here. And you hear very little about people wanting to move to Los Angeles County or Kings County, New York. That's where Brooklyn is. Because of good government, life is pleasant. Evil is actually punished to the extent that human beings can find it out. It's a good thing. It's godly. It's set up and established by God himself. It's within the context of those fortresses that human life is meant to exist. And I don't say perfectly. I don't think anyone in this room is actually asking for some sort of Edenic perfection just that's going to be brought back if we can just get the right people elected or get the right kind of churches life will still be, in a certain sense, difficult and a mess and full of sinners everywhere. But we are not, at this point in our nation's history, fighting with some sort of utopian goal in mind. We are fighting merely for any semblance of normal life to continue existing for our grandchildren. Whether you are older or younger than me, for our grandchildren. It could go on that long. And that semblance of normal life is all we're looking for. I just want to not pay too much in taxes and get nothing back. I want to be able to behave like a normal person socially and reliably when I see other people around the community. I want to be able to go to church according to God's standards, not according to the government. And I want my family to not be constantly undercut by both the incredibly high price of daily living and also by assorted propagandistic assaults upon my family through various channels. That's all I want. That's all I'm looking for. And the assaults have not been of only recent vintage. 2020, for which I am tremendously thankful, is simply the occasion for lots of things. The assaults on these divine fortresses have been going on for a very, very long time. If you go back, not only in art history, but also in European history, and you read anything written by someone who remembers life before the First World War, you will find a common witness that it was vastly different. And the reason I say that is because when I said the word normal earlier, you probably thought of something that felt maybe like 2000, 2000 or 1988 or something. There's a man who wrote a book called The Flood, maybe you've heard of it, Alfred Raywinkle but he wrote a lot of other things besides. And one of the things that he wrote about was the year that he began to serve as a pastor in Pincher Creek, Alberta. And he described the world in 1910, and he said that the taxation of Americans was very low. Generally, life was peaceful, and people spent a lot of time minding their own business. It doesn't sound like heaven exactly, but it sounds a lot like heaven. And what he meant by that was that the world had fundamentally changed when the entire world had been told through the government and at that time through the newspapers that all their business and their son's business and the lives of their son should be wrapped up in the nature of Belgian neutrality. And that sounds arcane and strange, but so does wearing a surgical mask everywhere. They have never asked you to believe that what they were talking about was obviously important. Like I said, the health advice you're receiving is generally not about weight or sunshine or exercise. For a very, very long time, you have been asked to believe that a lot of things, besides the family and the church's well-being, were vastly more important than anything else. You can tell how they want you to abandon these divine fortresses by figuring out what they're asking you to sacrifice. Sacrifice is always in the nature of non-Christian, that is, ungodly, religion. In Christianity, the sacrifice has already been made so that the faithful are justified by faith in that sacrifice made by God. Non-Christian religions will conversely always ask you to sacrifice something God has actually given you, like a family or a church or any semblance of good government in daily life. It will ask you, probably through some kind of screen, it will ask you to sacrifice a divine gift, to treat it like you own it, and then it will ask you to give it away. And once you give it away, it won't come back. That's why any idea that 1988 was normal compared to 1908 is a little funny when you've done the research. Because what you can see all along the line for at least the past 100-plus years is that you have been asked to leave those divine fortresses, especially of the family and the church, for an ever-changing menu of options, generally in the service of the state, But sometimes in the service of other, who knows what kind of causes. And when those demands are issued, and they have changed over the years, in World War I, we were going to make the world safe for democracy. And then in 2001, we were going to end terrorism. Somehow. Forever. And now we're going to end infectious diseases in human populations. Maybe. The plausibility of these things was never the issue. The capacity for them to, especially through media, take over the priorities that you set, take over your family's dynamics, take over and split up your churches, maybe close them, That was always the point, and I don't say this as a matter of uh, conspiracy, I say this because it is in fact what has happened, and in fact what does happen and is happening. In addition to those direct assaults on the family and the church, dissension is sown inside those things. So that the family is a place where we're constantly unsure what the dad is supposed to be doing and what the mom is supposed to be doing and what the kids are supposed to be doing. And when I'm not sure, or the media is constantly changing my perception about who my dad is or who my mom is or whether they have anything to teach me, then the process of acquiring wisdom that the Bible identifies as central to human life becomes nearly impossible. Especially when the Bible indicates in Proverbs that it's my father and my mother who are supposed to teach me wisdom. According to some educators, my father and my mother aren't even qualified to teach me. So the family is a place of strife. What should be a fortress, a protection, and a refuge becomes a place of strife. The church is a place of strife. And this primarily because it is a place where people have, for too long, allowed their consciences to be governed not by the Bible but by everything else. And when that happens, of course, there will be vast and constant dissension. Not simply reasonable discussion, settling of differences, forbearance, calmness, but constant and vast dissension. And since the majority of American churches have fewer than 80 people on a Sunday morning, if they are locked down for a long time, they are not and they have not been making it. And if and when America has things, at least in certain parts, resembling the kinds of lockdowns that we have in other Anglophone countries that should have some semblance of the same civil rights that we do in the United States, civil liberties and religious freedoms, if we have anything like what Australia and Canada and Great Britain have been putting themselves through, many, many, many more churches will not make it. Those assaults are, I think, the primary ones we have dealt with for the past hundred plus years. What we now face that is different is direct assault. Earlier, I used the term. Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall of vaccination status. And the reason I did that is because if you know a little bit about why the Berlin Wall was erected, you can understand something about what's happening now as the fortresses of the family and the church are being assaulted. The Berlin Wall was erected, specifically where it was, because of the number of East Germans who were seeking a different life in West Germany. And I'm sure in 1950, it would have seemed absurd to any Germans that there would be a wall built between one set of Germans and another set of Germans since they had spent roughly 200 years trying to get their whole country together. And it was bad enough that they were split into two after the Second World War. Because so many East Germans wanted to move, there were, as it were, so many East German plates driving around West Germany. I see conspicuously few Idaho plates proportionately when I drive around here, right? Maybe some of you in the audience are, are guilty of the same, right? People want to be here. They wanted in the late 50s and early 60s to go to West Germany. So the state built a wall and the purpose of the wall was not to get everyone to agree with the state. They're not so stupid, they might be incompetent, but they're not so stupid that they thought that everyone's mind would be changed. Oh, there's a wall here, they must be protecting us. Everyone recognizes what is going on. It's characteristic of bad government that nobody actually believes in it or what it says. All they wanted to achieve was a division between people who were willing to go over the wall and people who were not willing to go over the wall. The people who were not willing to go over the wall could very well have hated the government, the regime, its ways, its atheism, its aggressiveness, just as much as someone who's willing to climb over the wall. But if he doesn't have some sort of fire driving him, some sort of urge, some sort of push to climb the wall and risk being machine-gunned, then he'll just stay behind the wall where the government wants him. The purpose of these sort of purity laws in any religion or any government, such as we are getting into... Not so much explicitly in the United States with vaccine passports as with vaccination status. The purpose of a purity law or a wall is always to scare the people who are not sure. There will always be believers on both sides of the question. Some people will say the wall is great. Some people will hate the wall and try to climb it five times before they die on the fifth attempt. But most people won't know what to think and won't quite know what to do. It's for those folks that purity laws and walls and papers and passports, it's for those folks, the vast majority of any human population, that such measures are intended. In the 1990s, they didn't want you to go to church. They didn't want you to have a stable family. They made it very, very easy not to have a stable family, incentivizing the destruction of the family and making the church, certainly in the media and in much of our educational system, laughable to those who were listening. The change now is the direct assault on those things. By making the people who are attentive to the family and its prerogatives and people who are fervent in worshiping the Lord into pariahs. This will, long-term, if allowed to continue as it has, this will achieve far more than indirectly saying, aren't those religious people silly? Because it will mean that in order to belong, or in order to maintain the biological sex of your child against the recommendation of who knows what kind of medical authority, you will have to accept something like pariah status. And that is as may be. When you think about that, do not think that I just said that, in order for you to be frightened. If you've been watching, you could have seen many things like what we're going through now, coming. You don't have to wander at them or be frightened by them. As if you didn't know, this is Indian country. Instead, what you need to do is to plan for that future. And the reason we've been speaking about what are traditionally called the three estates in terms of fortresses is because I actually believe that since God has set them up, you will find refuge inside of them. As you do any time he gives something for the benefit of mankind. you will have to accept that inside those fortresses you will not be applauded or validated for the choices or the sacrifices that you've made to preserve those things. That is very, very different than anything that American Christians have faced pretty much ever in our whole history. We founded this country, we built this country, all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and now it has deserted us. That's as may be. In order to get anything back, we have to regroup from the fortresses. You know that 200 plus men died at Little Bighorn, but at least since I reminded you earlier in the talk, you now know that there were also plenty of survivors. They went back to fortresses in both western North Dakota, elsewhere in Montana, and down in Wyoming, and they regrouped there. After regrouping, they would eventually be victorious, making the land safe for settlement, peaceful, and prosperous. They could not, on the day that they were fleeing, know how it would end up. They could not, on the day that they were fleeing, know precisely what would happen and that everything would be taken care of and everything would work out. They had to learn from what had happened And they had to regroup in order to achieve victory in a new way, unforeseen by them. That's where we are. If you think of last year, think of it as our little bighorn. Lots of things that were going very badly before then are now obviously going very badly. It does not mean that there are no signs of life. It simply means that you will have to achieve victory in a different way. If I can speak very generally and then specifically in three points, the very general thing I would say is that you have to accept that for the protection and the preservation for your grandchildren of these fortresses, you have to have an attitude of fighting You cannot wait for someone to follow along or take pity on you. And the stance that sometimes conservatives in the United States take of wanting pity because someone was unfair to you, I'm sure they were. No one cares anymore. Nobody cares. So you have to fight for what you want to come to pass. You cannot wait for or appeal for someone else to bring it to pass. So here are some specifics for fighters. The first specific is that you know how, wherever you are in life, whatever age or stage or place, you can articulate something basic about why you are different in your family, in your church, in your town, in Idaho. Why are you different? When things are up in the air, you have to become a lot more of a salesman than you had to be before. You have to explain to somebody why. Things taken for granted now have to be explained. Things once obvious to everybody now have to be justified. That's okay. That's just our job now. Articulate why. Number two, assert your validity. It is being done constantly by your enemies, asserting the validity of things that are obviously forms of mental illness, racial resentment, and consuming wrath. Why don't you articulate the validity of a three-year-old girl getting to play with Barbies? Or the validity of a 15-year-old boy growing up to be a man. Or the validity of a group of peaceful, nice people coming into a building every Sunday morning, having their divine services, and having coffee cake and coffee afterwards without having to stand 4,000 feet from each other so that they don't die of something. Normal life, right? Assert its validity. Assert the validity of getting to live where and with whom you want to. Assert its validity. It's normal. It's natural. It was set up this way by nature and nature's God. So assert it. And then finally, hold on to what you do have when they are springing up everywhere with their arrows and their bows and their guns aimed at you don't throw your guns down. Very, very often, partly because being nice seems to be the 11th commandment and partly because we are not accustomed to fighting, we often apologize for ourselves and ask for mercy from those who will give no mercy. Look at what they did in the Russian Revolution. Look at what they did in the Spanish Civil War. They will show no mercy. So do not surrender. Do not surrender to them. You have natural and normal and godly things to defend. Defend them well. And do not give up your weapons. Get new weapons if you can. Learn to speak better. Learn to garden better. Learn to repair things for your friends. Learn to employ other Christians so they're not dependent upon a faceless corporation for their livelihood. Hold And get whatever weapons you can. Because the ending doesn't have to be what they think. In addition to a great deal of incompetence, not even bothering to cover their tracks in the media anymore, you are facing people who, unlike the worshippers of the true God, are extremely arrogant people. Personally. Arrogant. Arrogant. Unknowing, They don't know where food comes from. They don't know who keeps the lights on in the country. They're very, very arrogant. Their foot shall slide in due time. The proud will find the world a slippery place. They will come down the walls will come down. Even the ones that are not yet erected, they too have a lifespan and they will end. Stay together in places, in groups, and with people like this, so that you remain inspired. The worst thing you can do in battle is to be cut off from your unit. So stay with your people, Cultivate your family, cultivate your church, cultivate all the levels of government you possibly can so that it's as good as it can possibly be and do not give up the fight. Thank you. I think we have a little time for questions.
1: Wow, yes, thank you. That was solid. Uh, Opening up for questions, I'll bring the mic around.
2: So I know you didn't say it explicitly, Mm -hmm. but I have a feeling that you meant that our problem is with socialism in the world. Mm -hmm. Seeing that all of these seeds of what you are describing yeah. came from the French Revolution and how everything went in the French Revolution and has continued since the French Revolution. Yeah. Seeing that during the French Revolution, they they destroyed the church and the family mm-hmm. and even went so far as to slaughter every person who still believed in the church, such as what happened in the genocide of the Vendee. hmm And has continued since then in places like Cambodia where they, generally speaking, slaughter off the religious first, Mm -hmm. as well as in the Cultural Revolution of China. So how do you suggest we, how should I put it, stand up against that overwhelming force when we know that if this continues, it will probably mean our death?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's say specific to the example of the French Revolution, and then I'll apply it to the United States today um, is that what happens, and I, socialism, that's, that's as good a word as any, I suppose. Um, it, it feels a little limited economically to economics, but that's, that's totally fine, is that what they will do is they will pronounce some set of blood libels upon the group they're trying to get rid of. So in the case of the Vendee, you have uh, actually believing Catholics More generally in the French Revolution, it's classes above and beyond uh, the urban poor who are controlled by almost all the names that you might know from the French Revolution. They're pretty much all lawyers. So they're not of that class, but they manipulate that class very much like the modern media, right? So, um, and once you have a blood libel pronounced upon a group, they can therefore be killed without people thinking about it go on, just, just search Twitter, which is an unusually left-wing social media platform, that's why it's helpful. Search Twitter for um, what people want to do to those who are refusing the vaccine. <coughs> so just go look, just go look. So that's a status thing. Um, so in the United States today, groups with blood libels on their heads are chiefly white people, but then in addition to that, Christians, Um, in addition to that, men so they're all just groups whose existence is problematic, that's when you know you're marked out, so when those groups are attacked, one thing to know is that the rhetoric is it's it's never in earnest it's never in earnest, I mean the term you know, these are basically unvaccinated is the same thing as saying racist, you're supposed to shut up now So um, the thing to notice is what they do before the bloodshed starts. In order to minimize bloodshed, you wanna recognize when they are trying to stir it up. And the way that socialism does this is that it makes people think that the real problem with life is not themselves. That would be the basic message of Christianity. The big problem with the universe, as far as you're concerned, is you, okay, a sinner. The big problem, according to, let's say, socialism, is someone else, this class of people. If you're a woman, it's men. If you're not white, it's white people. If you're not Christian, it's Christians. If you're vaccinated, it's the unvaccinated. Once you notice that, then you know what to care about and what to respond to and also whom to protect, because that's that's who they're, that's who they're marking out. Yep, yep. Other questions? Yes, ma'am.
3: So we have two teenage daughters. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you recommend to motivate our teenagers and our young adults? So we're from California. Mm -hmm. From day one, our girls saw their dad and I like fight this fight. Like from the beginning, we've taken them with us to the Capitol. They go with us to rallies. I'm in charge of North Idaho Freedom Fighters, so they're, they, they, this is our life all the time. So yeah. what I get at home from my girls is, yeah, mom, we know you're fighting for our freedom. Right. We're sick of always talking about it, and it's right. that fine line of wanting to give them that that innocent childhood, right. but then letting them know like this is what's happening and this is the importance of it. And so how do you yeah. get that internal like I guess spirit or drive for them to do it on their own? And they yeah. and they do sometimes, yeah. but like really the importance of doing it on their own versus like coming from us, even though like we've set the example, we've homeschooled their whole lives and we've limited social media.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for that. Um, that's, that's always a difficulty with anything that's worthwhile is how do you pass it on to the people that didn't have to start it, right? So I didn't grow up Christian, so I have a certain drive that my kids don't have to have, whom I'm obviously raising as Christians, right? So how, how do you pass that on, that, that worthwhile stuff? I think that that largely has to do with recognizing kind of what the the child's drives are. And, you know, so does my kid want to know things? Or does my kid want to understand um, why other people... Like, if my child is really motivated by social approval, how do I explain why what we've raised them to care about and believe is not socially approved? So I actually pick the hot spots, the difficult things about that child and raising her. And I address those. Because a lot of things that are not rational, like the habit of going to church or the habit of being involved politically or something, they're actually going to pick up whether they want it or not. So even if they didn't go to church, they would think about not going to church in a way that somebody who never had gone to church doesn't. Those are very, very powerful things, but on the level of what do we rationally address, what do we talk about as a family, I would talk precisely about those things that as the kid's growing up and you have a sense of, okay, she really wants social approval and this really is not going to have social approval, but it's right, so that those are the things that you address rather than trying to cover it generally or just saying, this is why your dad and I got into this. Because some of that is, could motivate them, right? They're, they're your kids, they're like you, but some of it's not going to. So if you know, you know, with the, with the girls, this, is, this really pushes on her, or this really bothers her, or this is kind of boring her right now, then adjust your kind of approach. Because it's one of the most difficult things with Christianity, let alone political convictions, is we believe this, how do we actually pass this on? And I think usually when the most difficult questions get to be asked, that's when the most fruitful growth happens. Yeah. Yeah?
3: Hi. Uh, I, I don't really have so much of a question. I was going to offer some, some advice to yeah. Amy, being you know a parent myself, and she's a good friend of mine. Um, someone once told me there's nothing like self-discovery, to turn a boy into a man. And sometimes we have to take a step back and let our children experience the tyrannies and the bad stuff and have faith that what we've raised them as, what we've tried to instill into them is going to take hold. And when they have those life experiences for themselves... That's what builds the fervor.
0: Yeah, definitely. Good answer. Got a question over here. And one over there.
2: I appreciate your message. Yeah, thank you. And I know that scripture calls us, when we've done all we can do, to stand, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, what you're calling us to do. But we have many churches in our community that are saying we should not get involved in this, this, Mm -hmm. you know, just to uh, be submissive. And there are many of us who don't agree with that but can't fully rationalize. Sure. Will you explain your approach?
0: Yeah, so um, on the flyer for next Saturday, I think it says what I, yeah, it says what I do for a living. So I teach New Testament, so... um, The way that I explain it to guys who are going to be pastors is that, uh, yes, you do need to submit to the powers that be. Uh, In our form of government, the powers that be include the people. So if you think of this as submit means take orders from someone who's above you, you have the wrong idea. You're actually overturning American government when you are passive, and obedient to something that, to whatever anyone tells you to do. Um, Our government at every level is founded on the idea that it's actually not just of and for, but also by the people, okay? And it can't be by the people if the people are more worried about which rules are gonna be coming down the pike next than about why anyone is allowed to tell them what to do on a daily basis. So I I actually think it's destructive of the form of government we have in this country when Christians just submit to whatever they're told to do. Yeah, they're actually being bad citizens in that case. We got one over here, and I'll get you, sir, yep.
1: Okay, this is a two-part question. Um, You said we need to achieve victory in another way. Mm -hmm. So one, what does that look like? Mm And two, beyond meetings and rallies and voting, which are all very important, I feel like we need to do something to make a greater impact that's gonna be substantial and fast, the enemy's getting ground on us quickly. So what do you feel and what do you see are ways that we could have a greater impact? What do we need to do?
0: Okay, yeah. So uh, what victory would look like is going to depend on factors that that are that some of which are just totally outside anyone's control. So to give you an example, what does it look like in like what does the union of the states look like in 10 years? I have no idea. They have been flying apart from each other just on the level of everyday regulation of crime for a very long time. So that's hard to say. Victory in my mind would at least look like the fact that you have you know, more than one choice out of the 50 for a state that a, that a normal person would want to live in. That, that they're not entirely ruled by criminality, illegal immigration, and other things that are against all the laws on the books. That would be victory um, of a kind, right? I can imagine better things than that, but that would be a kind of victory. One way to get there is in those places, but also in places that are not, let's say, you know, North Idaho, that people stop seeking validation or certification or an income, if at all possible, from anyone who is still invested in the regime that is building our new Berlin Wall. So that's very wide-ranging, but involves, I think, almost any, the whole spectrum of life from what does education look like to all kinds of things. And the, the two areas in which examples of that already exist in the United States are gun rights and homeschooling, which have actually been extended significantly over the course of the 20th century. While lots of other things were not, the right to school your children according to your choice has advanced in really every state. Uh, even places you would not think of. Now, some places have a lot more regulation than others, but it's advanced in every single state. So, um, those are things to those are those are things to think about. But what I'm saying overall is that victory is going to involve people um, seeking to build their life with each other rather than via validation from central systems, whether of public education or uh, corporate employment, um, perhaps entirely, that we'll have to build lives that are sort of side stream alongside the tyrannical mainstream of American life. Um, (laughs) Being a Pennsylvania native, I'd have to say the the Amish saw this coming, you know. (laughs) They realized it wasn't worth it, so. (laughs) Okay, we have a question up here, Nathan.
1: She okay. She asked me. Okay, I'll okay. grab in the back and then circle back to the front. Okay, Sounds and good. we have time for anybody, so don't be shy. Thank you.
4: Please forgive me if my anger shows. But what has happened to our government, and do we have a government, and what has happened to the Constitution? And the people who are charged to protect it and enforce it. What has happened to our representatives when they will allow four or 500 people to be totally denied all of their rights that the Constitution guarantees? And they sit quietly by in their chambers in the Senate and in the House, and not just there, but here, and do nothing and say nothing while these people languish in these conditions. And nobody seems to care and nobody seems to want to do anything about it. And what, what can anybody do if this is in front of everybody, in their face, and they sit by and say, well, golly gee, it, it doesn't affect me. So what, what's that saying? At first they came for, I guess it's the mayor, then they came for my neighbor, mm-hmm. and then they came for me, and there was no one left to call? Mm-hmm. When are we going to wake up Going back to nineteen forty eight, we accepted the separation of church and state, which was a lie. Nineteen fifty three, we accepted the five oh one C three situation only so Johnson could be reelected because the churches were speaking out against him. In nineteen sixty-three, they took down the Ten Commandments, they took down everything that made our country better and they're not allowed to. 1972 we set about to destroy millions of children and if you've been watching the news what's been happening back in Philadelphia and around our country they're butchering children alive because these organs that they need in their harvesting have to be with continuous blood flow what is there for anybody to do when it is this far down thank you I think, I think
0: that means that there's lots to do. Um, and in a way, I am thankful that I don't remember a better country. Um, because it would be that much more painful. But there was a time when none of those good things existed in order to be taken away. So there can be a time in which they come back.
1: I wanna mention the church sponsoring this event, Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, is not a 501c3, we're a church.
2: (laughs) I guess, while the man was talking, I was thinking, what can we do? And with people's rights, and we should know our rights, and we're learning as a community what are our rights, how we've given them up, and how do we try to take them back, and that's the magic question every time we meet. What do we do? what's the action item? And one of the things that keeps coming to my mind is we have to be a moral people to vote in moral people to govern over us. And the problem is, is we've been an immoral people for far too long to let it come to this point. So how do we become moral people? That's the question in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the attitude to life of being a consumer has been the basic one. So I consume my government and then I complain about it or I, I consume church and then I complain about it or whatever. And the idea of accepting responsibility for what my government or what my church or what my family is like uh, will actually be painful, but also long-term, much more beneficial. Um, Because when I begin to accept responsibility for myself, then I also begin to gain capability. What I think our regime wants is people who are irresponsible and therefore incapable of opposing them. Yes, ma'am.
3: What are we
2: going to do about our kids not getting a much, much civilization, enough of human communication? Because home school, it's they're not getting enough communication with other kids, and also p- private school is getting too expensive. And then public school are brainwashing and indoctrinating our children without us even knowing it. They are showing our children news and about vaccines. What are we going to do about them indoctrinating our future?
0: So, so the reason private school exists is because public school used to work the way private school does where... Generally, it depends on the type of private schooling, but generally, uh, local parents would have control over what was taught and who taught it. Okay, that's not the case in public education anywhere anymore, uh, to any important degree. So that's a big change. Um, homeschooling is not. I have seven kids in a homeschool, though, so they they get a lot of socialization. Probably, probably my kids probably talk to each other too much in homeschool, so. Um, they need to be a little more so poorly socialized than they are. But um, but generally the reason that we have homeschool and private school is because public education uh, broke for a large number of us. Um, and some of us, as in the case of the Lutheran Church, did not really participate in a big way in public education to begin with, because we knew that it wasn't turning people into Lutherans when they grew up, which is what we wanted. So we had Lutheran schools. So according to the desire of your family or your church. You want to make sure that people grow up and are not you know, brainwashed with crazy stuff, like you were saying about public school. And the problem, I'd say, is just that public school doesn't, can't really avoid brainwashing us anymore. And I went to a lot of public school. So, it's, so we have to do private school or homeschool, at least for now, because the public is too crazy. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Dr. Kuntz did a great
1: series a podcast series on this exact topic, on education, public school, private school, homeschooling, et cetera. on the Brief History of Power podcast. And then, of course, next week, he'll be talking about that subject and you're right, they're teaching uh, CNN for Kids in the, the government schools, as well as in some schools that say that they're Christian schools. Send your kid to the Christian school, CNN for Kids? No.
3: So, uh, one thing I've been kind of pondering lately is that a lot of my peers, even though they think that they know what they're talking about when it comes to like politics and economics and all, and all the above, is that the the conversation of the debate is is gone. And I'd like to beg the question, how do you try to politely?
0: Disagree and put forth your point without being stifled by this toxic anger. I think one thing to recognize is whether it's a place where anyone is of goodwill, and if it's not, leave. And for the time being, don't make your life harder than it needs to be before you leave, um, because there are just places where people are insane, um, and that's that's the way it goes in modern American life. If the person is of goodwill, and that's usually easier to achieve when they're with you and not with a big group of people who are going to agree with them right away, then you can introduce, but introduce things gradually. Don't be daunted by the fact that someone totally opposes you right now. People change their minds about lots of things all the time. Just figure out how you can get him from the place that he is right now to a, a much better place. And if that takes six months or that takes six hours or that takes six minutes, take the time that it needs to take. But don't be worried about the fact that people vehemently oppose you right now because people say all kinds of things and they especially say things that they think other people are gonna like. And that's really the only reason they're saying them. Okay, uh, last question for now. We will have Q&A
1: afterwards, but we need to get set up. We'll take about a 10 minute break after this question to get set up for the next speaker, Dr. Ryan McPherson. Yeah.
3: Good afternoon. afternoon. Um, So you've crossed a a huge amount of subject material today. We're talking about government. We're talking about religion. Um, I, like you, came from outside of the Christian faith. had no faith at all. Um, Thought I did, but didn't. First of all, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and I believe Christians sometimes forget this. From the political side, we're trying to cross over our faith into our government. At one point in time, our government was based on the faith that the people had at the time, whether it was correct or not, because I've heard a lot of um, disparaging information about our founding fathers not being Christians, but they thought they were Christians in some manner, and they had grown up around it, which was more involved, apparently, at that time in the world, I wasn't there so I have to rely on history. So I have done some politics. One of the challenges is that people forget is you have to respect each individual's liberty. If you can, you can defend everybody else's liberty, your liberty will be able to be caught up in that. So people that get lose, lose their faith in the government can't see our way forward, I would strongly suggest we hold those people accountable. Find people of better character to put in and don't take any guff off of them. They really like to get into power at that point and then they they feel that they're isolated from their the very people that put them in and then many of them, not all of them, but many of them they get in there and they forget where their foundation was because maybe they didn't have any foundation at that time. They're they're a challenging group of people to work with. So the real question comes down is, you can't force Christianity onto people, because that's not the way God works. How you communicate that over with people, I try to do it on an individual basis. I find people have a young worker that I work with. I presented an argument to him. And it was about abortion. I'm going to go through it really quickly. He, there's a question coming, folks. Please just just go along with it. He believes that you're just a chunk of flesh in your mother's womb. I suggest if I could go back in time and I could give his mother RU486, which is the day after pill, then he wouldn't be, would I have committed a murder? In his mind, he is not a Christian. He can't answer that question. Of course it's murder. I helped him with my answer. I believe that that will live with him forever, and it might bring him around to wanting to go discover Christ if the Holy Spirit's calling him. My question to you is how do we, how do we breach this issue with our elected officials who do forget they say they, they claim they're Christians, but they don't vote like Christians. Christianity should live in your heart and that should guide your, how you live. If they're failing that, how do we change that set? Because it seems to be most people who go to the federal government level especially forget their Christian values when it comes to their voting.
0: That, yeah, the reason that they do that is because there really there are no consequences if they contravene Christ for their career. That's why. Whereas if they contravene their you know top five donors, there are severe consequences for their career. So uh, if you're not going to have the same power as you know Boeing or Pfizer right now. One thing to think about is that it's really, really difficult, especially the higher up level you go in American politics, to have any kind of say without being a collective that can hold some sort of sway over something. Um, And uh, one example is uh, with schooling and the Amish is that the Amish opted out of public school at a certain point. Um, It was like the 30s, between the 60s, different places. They were getting thrown in jail. The fathers were getting thrown in jail uh, for for breaking truancy laws. None of this really went anywhere legally or they didn't have any lasting victory until they were organized collectively by non-Amish in the Amish Religious Freedom Committee and actually got a case, Wisconsin v. Yoder, all the way up to the Supreme Court. You have to be organized and you have to be collectively organized. You don't have to have all the money in the world, but you have to... Be organized because if you're not, as a church or whatever it is that you're trying to defend, you are going to be crushed and disappointed because the elected official doesn't exist in order to be answerable to you unless you make him answerable to you um, in the way that money already does.